Hello and welcome to GradCast, the official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students at Western University. I am your host tonight, Gavin Tolometti. And I am your co-host, Reese Patterson. And we are here with Kat. Kat from the History Department. How are you doing? Good, how are you guys? Doing pretty good. How about you, Reese? I'm doing okay. <laughs> <laughs> so Kat, uh, in the History Department, what... Uh, type of, uh, I'm going to say this, what type of history is it that you uh, study? So I'm actually a public history master's student. So that is um, one of the sections of the master's program in the history department. So a lot of my work is actually working with the public and how they interpret history and how they work with history. Okay. So it's they find different parts of history and try to learn, understand how people learn from that history or try to understand it. So I'm actually working with the public. So I'm, a lot, I'm right there with the public, helping them with the history, either through museums or digital archives, collections, all that kind of stuff, yeah. Is it very local, like only local for you, or do you try to, is it like across Canada? So it can be applied to any, any kind of history, it can be applied to any, and it even extends into other like um, industries like the film industry. So if they needed like a historical consultant for a movie, they would probably contact a public historian or at least somebody who is qualified in the history to help them. Wow, wow. How did you get into something like that? So I actually took a undergraduate course at Queen's. I did my history major at Queen's and I had a course that talked about public history and I was like, this is like a really interesting like field. This is something I could see myself doing and I love working with the public and I love working with museums and all that. And I said, might as well give it a shot. So what is it that brought you from Queen's to Western after learning about public history? So Queen's actually doesn't offer public history as a master's. Western is one of the few schools in Canada to offer it. And it's also a very like prestigious school for public history as well. Oh, cool. Okay. I did not know that. Uh, so when, what in your actual field though, is it like when you work with the public, is it a particular type of history that you like to focus on? I'm usually more into the world wars, so probably would work at a war museum or work with veterans groups to interpret history. But I have friends who do all sorts of different fields, depending on what kind of history they like to do best. So, okay, so definitely um, conflicts between in history is definitely seems to be your forte. Yeah. From the sounds of it. <laughs> uh, but but what is it that like that particular type of history that drew you in? Is it just because so much happened over like centuries in human history? I don't know. Um, I first got into World War history because my great grandfather uh, was on the beach landings on D-Day. And I was like, that's pretty cool. I want to learn more about that. And so I just kind of, it snowballed. And here I am now loving all World War history and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's super cool how like you can almost connect with your grandfather in such a way where you're learning about the history and bringing it almost like a modern day spin onto it. Um, what exactly is your research? Like, how do you, how do you put those two pieces together? So the research that I think you're going to be talking about in this podcast, is going to be, it's a little different from the research that I've been doing because I love both so much. It's really hard to choose between both of them. If there's some way down the line, I could combine both. I could see it being more through commemoration. So how we commemorate war and how we commemorate uh, victories or failures and applying any kind of 
dark tourism or anything to those forms of commemoration. That's probably a way I could merge both of them pretty easily. So what you said dark tourism. So what exactly is that? Yeah, so the basic definition that was created in 1996 uh, is that dark tourism is the tourism that is directed towards or profits off of sites of death, suffering, and tragedy. Some very notable like places include Auschwitz-Birkenau, so the museum and the site there, or even the 9-11 Memorial Museum is also considered a form of dark tourism. So it's like parts, it's landmarks of history that have a dark past yes. or a haunted past, maybe. Yeah, exactly. And you mentioned uh, teaching people how to commemorate them. So is it more of the lines that you would go to these places and teach people how you should respect and remember how this history played out, no matter, even though it was a very dark, bad history, but that you have to learn the appropriate ways to remember people that maybe died during, if it was an event, or remember the loss of lives, if it was like a natural tragedy, something, something along those lines? Yeah, I mean, I think that's the goal is to hopefully be able, maybe not to lecture people about it, but to just open their eyes to their intentions behind visiting perhaps darker sites. Um, and we can probably talk about that a little later. But um, I, it's, it's difficult because I feel like some people will, have, will be open to have their mind changed and others will never be open to have their mind changed. So I just hope that my work will be seen by somebody and maybe somebody will rethink something about their intentions to visit a place. Why do you think people have such a fasc fascination with these types of places? Like you mentioned the 9-11 Memorial, it gets thousands of visitors during like during this season and even like Auschwitz and even Chernobyl for that matter. Like there was a, there was a show on it, right? Why do you think people are so interested in that kind of, that kind of area? I personally think people just like in naturally have a weird curiosity to that darker part of history. Um, I know for myself personally, I've always loved to learn about urban legends and ghosts and stuff. So I've always been attracted to that kind of stuff. Um, and people visit these sites for a multitude of reasons. Sometimes it's not because they're interested in darker history. Sometimes they're paying respects to somebody they personally lost in 9-11 or potentially honoring a family member who passed away at Auschwitz kind of thing as well. So what happens in the situations where tourists visit these sites, but they don't really go for the education, educational or the commemoration side of it. They usually just want to go to say, I visited this very historic site because everyone's talking about it. Is there a way to educate people why that might be a bit, let me rephrase that, not the right reason to visit these sites? I'm, I'm sure there is. And I'm sure as I continue to do my research, I may find more concrete answers. Um, within the uh, research and field of dark tourism, there is a framework that we place these sites on, and it's on a scale. It's on a gray scale, with there being pale tourism, and pale tourism essentially is people are going to these sites not because they're interested in death, but because they have an interest somewhere else. So maybe it is that educational purpose or something else. They're not intending to disrespect any these places in any manner. Um, and then there's the other side of the scale, which is complete pure black dark tourism where either the people who run the site is profiting off of purposely off of death and suffering or the people that are going there are doing so for perhaps a very morbid kind of reason and i think a lot of that the site chernobyl had a, a lot of people like instagram influencers go to take selfies there which is dangerous for their own health and also again i 
I don't see the appeal in going there. So I definitely place that on the darker side of the scale. Um, I think education just in general is important. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of these shows that film, either fictional or non-fictional things, uh, these sites can have an impact on how people become to view these sites. It just seems like the strangest place. If, all, if I ever wanted to get a selfie, I don't think I'd want to go to a location where I know I could potentially die of radiation exposure. Plus, yeah, I do see that how disrespectful it can be because thousands of people died and suffered from radiation-borne illnesses because of that meltdown. And same if you went to Auschwitz, like there's a really dark history and going there just to take personal photos, just to put on Instagram, it's almost like you are disrespecting everyone that lost their lives with during that war. So I would have been shocked. I'm quite, I'm just saying, I'm quite a little bit shocked that some people don't see the dark part of what they're actually doing during that type of tourism. So I would hope that some education for them might enlighten them to, to see that you have to be able to respect these sites. Even I know they're like really big and well-known historical sites. It doesn't give you really a reason to like disrespect the grounds, the memory and the history of it. Yeah, for sure. And I'm sure a lot of some of the smaller sites that are still considered doctor sites are still like, they're not going to be discussed about probably in school. And if people aren't in the field of history, they probably stopped taking history in high school and they'll never understand fully to the extent that a historian might about that dark history that lies there. Yeah, I'm definitely one of those people. <laughs> nah, yeah, I could, I wasn't, I didn't really continue it past the age of 15. I continued to geography. I had to pretty much pick at that point. Yeah, I'm, I'm in the same boat. I stopped at the history where I was like grade 10 and then you got to choose between geography and I kind of went that way, but I can, I can understand people's uh, like people's interest in it. I mean, there's so many different branches of history, like you said. Like, there's this is one branch of history where we want to. It's a fine line between glorifying it and respecting it at the same time. Um, what places do you think today could be maybe a future place for dark tourism in the future? Like, are we? Are there any places in London? Are there any like cool places or like anywhere else in Ontario that maybe nobody else would know about? I don't know, I don't know yet. <laughs> I get asked that question quite a bit and it's hard to know what people will be interested in in the future too. I think that's the big thing because what I might say they're like, 20 years from now, they'll be like, ah, no, that wasn't important. So I don't know. <laughs> maybe with um, current events right now, there might be a couple sites that could pop up at as historical sites because with everything going on we are living a form a part of history right now so i'd be surprised if there aren't any sites maybe uh with the whole um coronavirus situation maybe like the point of origin could be one or areas where it was major outbreaks because there's been thousands of lives or well, we've got a couple of million lives lost now so there's going to be sites where there was huge huge loss of life so they might be there might be memorials put up so I'm hoping we won't see any form of dark tourism, maybe a few, like a few years after it's over, people going back saying, look, everyone remember what happened. And so it's. You, you mentioned pale tourism and, and dark tourism. So yeah. 
on the broad scale of say coronavirus like what do you where do you think that would fall on the scale to maybe like some other examples in the world is like the catacombs of paris or like jonestown like would jonestown be considered something or like like now would it be considered like would there be a plaque in italy or a place in in china that would say this is where the first person passed away and kind of again finding that fine line between like respect and, and glorification it's hard to say for certain right now because it depends on two factors whether a tourism company will come in and decide to try to profit profit off of it and that places it on the scale somewhat too but it really comes down to the person going i could see a lot of potential maybe some medical students or people who deal with like any kind of um, infectious disease going to some of these spots to maybe either pay respects or to learn about it and i would say that that's on the paler side i don't know if it's completely pale because i don't know the intention of the person but that's on the paler side but if people are then going there to somehow not you know pay respects for it we start to lean towards darker if that makes sense i love the scale i love the scale of that it's just like oh it's pale oh it, it's dark it's that gray it's kind of it's kind of gray it's kind of it's kind of on the darker side gray you know <laughs> it's like a light it's almost like life lessons they say there's not really a black and white answer it's kind of gray if you think about it there's the good and the yeah. bad the, the good and the bad parts of everything Definitely. So, so for your research in particular, are there any particular areas uh, locally or in Canada that you'd like to focus on and teach the public? Yes. So particularly, I actually want to focus my research on Kingston because after have been living there for 22 years, I have grown accustomed to all the sites, historic sites that are there and also have been on the all the kinds of ghost tours and all the spooky stuff that they offer. I even worked at Fort Fright during their Halloween season as a scare actor. Um, so I'd scare people who would come through the fort. Um, that was kind of fun. <laughs> um, and I feel like as our tourism industry is so important to our city. It's pretty much what drives our economy. But we're not recognizing how a lot of the tourist sites that we have are dark tourist sites. And we kind of pride ourselves on these darker parts of history. Um, being can one of Canada's, you know, most haunted towns and all the, if you've ever heard of the Haunted Walk of Toronto or Ottawa, um, they actually started in Kingston um, with the Haunted Walk in Kingston and then they opened up branches in Toronto and Ottawa respectively. Um, so I really want to explore the sites of my hometown and try to apply the dark tourism theoretical framework to that and see if there's maybe a way that we can kind of navigate, because um, it's a kind of a scary term. It's it's a very negative term right off the bat, but I don't think it has to be a scary or a negative term. I think people just need to recognize that we are profiting off of it. And then what do we do next? What, how can we then go forward from there? When you say profiting off of it, is it mainly just when the city tries to uh, sell the fact like, oh, you can come with these very cool ghost tours and learn about interesting sites, it will cost you X amount to join a tour group where we'll teach you about them. So are you saying it's it's not a good thing to be um, uh, putting a cost on it to teach people this? Or is it just the question of what should we do with the money that we make? So I'm fairly neutral on the profit 
aspect of it because um, I'm going to use an example because um, Kingston Penitentiary has been a part of my life for a couple years now. I've done a documentary on it, so it's, it holds a really special place in my heart. And it is decommissioned now, so all there, there is is the tours that take place during our tourist season. Um, and that brings in a lot of money. But what happened is that the tour company takes half of it and, you know, pays its workers and all that and pays for helps with the upkeep and everything. And then half of it actually goes to Kingston's local United Way. And through that money, they were actually able to fund programs to help youth homelessness. Um, and it's actually really helped the, our homelessness problem in Kingston. And it's been amazing. But the issue became back in last September, they decided to host a rock concert. Um, with some really notable like Kingston acts and there was members of the tra tragically hip there as well and they were charging people it's a they were trying to raise money and a PhD student at Queens actually wrote about it discussing how well not inherently bad it, it's a it can happen they weren't recognizing the dark history that took place there there it was it was it's like a really touchy subject Kingston Penitentiary holds is so much part of Kingston's identity. It's a touchy subject to talk to local Kingston about it, you know, um, and it started a firestorm um, and it sparked a lot of controversy whether this concert should have happened or not. And it's not really about the profit. It's what Kingston Penitentiary, Penitentiary doesn't really do is talk about the stories and the lives of the prisoners who were there. So if you were to ever take, I don't know if any of you have ever taken a tour there or not. I want to. <laughs> I want it's to really now, good. but I haven't before. <laughs> it's a really fantastic tour because as you go through, you actually get to talk to and interact with former uh, officers and wardens of the penitentiary who actually worked there at some in some capacity. Um, but a lot of the history and the stories and the narratives are focused on the wardens and the officers. And there's a reason for that. You're not allowed to talk about uh, prisoners who are still alive. Um, there is a law against that. But as long as the prisoner was to consent to it, they would actually be allowed to share the story. And as a person who kind of posed as a tourist on one of these tours as part of my documentary, all I heard and all people wanted to know is where the infamous killers stayed. Where did, you know, Kings of Penitentiary house some of Canada's worst criminals? I will not name them here, but they wanted to know exactly what cell they stayed in. Where did you hang people? Did you hang people? Did you waterboard them? That's all they cared about. They didn't care about how Kings of Penitentiary, you know, through its timeline, you can see how Canada's judicial system had changed and how its prison system changed. They didn't care about that. They really cared about all the creepy kind of stuff. And Kingston kind of promotes it like that. So that's the issue. It's not necessarily the profits, um, but if a tourism company is going to come in and make profit, they should try to make their story as balanced as possible. If that makes sense. Oh, I could. That does make sense. I mean, you don't really want people the takeaway message after I took like that to saying like, oh yeah, this person brutally murdered these people. So that's all I can remember from the penitentiary. Instead of, or well, how did they treat every all the prisoners from like worst case to their like low, I guess like a low a, a, a petty crime. I would yeah. say at least for a penitentiary, but um. I do understand, I do get the um, finding out where they either hanged them or or brutally injured them for just to, um, as rehabilitation or 
torture because um i have been on ghost tours but they are all the way up in scotland but they went back hundreds of years to go before i think canada was even a country and all people during those tours wanted to know is like where were prisoners of war just prison scottish prisoners taken in dungeons to literally get tortured for information because they just wanted to see all the interesting and cool dungeon equipment that you would see and i don't know what it is but every time someone sees a guillotine they really get excited well that's about it it's more, it's, the, it's more than just the ghost stories and it's more it's more about the history behind it and it's a very important part of canada's history when you think about it unfortunately uh Kingston did have a lot of uh, bad people stay there, <laughs> um, but it's it's a part of our history and it's very important to learn about it in all aspects. Yeah. And I do understand the, uh, I think as you said, you were about in the gray area, but came between the history and the money side of education. I mean, if they are, if half the money does go to paying the workers and keeping everything maintained, which it should, and then the rest goes to donations and outreach and promotion. I I I personally don't have an issue with places doing like that. I think I only have issues when they take money for people visiting these dark sites is when the money just doesn't go towards that site. They spend it elsewhere that has nothing to do with it. I think it's the only time I probably put an issue with it. I would agree with that too, yeah. yeah. Is so if Kingston has this much dark history, uh besides the Panitarian, are there any other sites in Kingston that you're also focusing on? I'm glad you asked because I'm really excited to talk about it. Um, <laughs> Kingston is also home to a former asylum as well that only closed, I believe, in the late like mid to late 90s, maybe early 2000s. I'm not exactly sure. Um, and before I actually moved here for my grad school, like two days before I moved here to London, I um, went on, it's like a trolley ride. They have them for the regular history that they tell of Kingston, but they also have like a ghost tour you do at nighttime, so it's all spooky. And they took us to the asylum, and the way they talked about the asylum just made me sick to my stomach because knowing how asylums have treated people and knowing that a lot of innocent people were experimented on and were in a lot of pain and were tortured for whatever reasons it felt weird to kind of, you know, those like horror movies that are all about asylums, like people really like that creepy mental hospital aesthetic. And I never understood that. And it, what really got me was when the tour guide pointed up to a broken window, it actually had help written in it. It's believed that one of the patients had written helped before he threw himself out the window to kill himself. Um, and the way he talked about that and the way he said, oh, you can still like feel his energy or you can see his spirit. It just rubbed me the wrong way. Like that is not how we should be talking about um, former mental asylums. That's not how I don't think Kingston would pride itself on. You know, we, won't, we don't want to pride ourselves on that kind of history. We should be recognizing that we did that and finding ways to navigate it because there is such a stigma with mental health to this day. And because a lot of these sites only stopped being their former self in the last 20 years, it feels just really weird. Um, so that's another site I'd really like to look at because I there's a not, they don't, it's not a lot of research done on it, but I'd like to continue and try to bring light, shed some light on it to the, to Kingston and maybe to other Canadians as well. Since you started your masters, have you gone back to get any more information uh, about the asylum? 
Um, not yet, because I'm hoping to do uh, my PhD mostly on dark tourism. Currently, I'm finishing my master's with a cognate on Indigenous veterans in interwar Canadian society. So it's it's really hard to separate because I love both so much. I love that world <laughs> war. I love that dark tourism. It's like it's like picking your favorite child. It's like. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it does sound like your your and your master's and soon to be your PhD is going to have a lot of information, which I think really benefits uh, the public, not just in Canada, but if people around the world could also recognize dark tourism and the historical sites that had a very bloody past, understand how to commemorate yeah. and respect it, I think may help not just the current generations now, but future generations, because if they're not taught now, there could be no one's going to be able to remember or understand why some sites should be respected. Yeah, exactly. So I have to ask, because the curiosity is killing me, have you ever seen a ghost? Have I ever seen a ghost? I, I have. I have seen ghosts before. Um, I, like, I live 10 minutes from a graveyard back in Kingston, too. So again, like, I feel like ghosts have been a part of my life since I've been a kid. But yes, have you guys seen ghosts ever? Debatable. I would say, give it that. I would give it a, a strong energy. Yeah. Uh, personally, no, but I know my, uh, when I did my undergrad in St. Andrews in Scotland, there was supposedly supposed to be seven white lady ghosts and a nun that would appear in front of a church at 3 a.m. in a corner where there's a tree. I can't remember the exact history why, but I remember one after we did that tour, we wanted to go back and see if we can actually <laughs> find them. Yeah. A couple of the sites were in graveyards, so we. But no luck. Supposedly. Well, you yeah, you definitely have the potential to uh, to find some ghosts, especially in Scotland. <laughs> oh, yeah. There's oh, there's a lot of ghosts out there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I think what... So thank you very much, Kat. This is a um, very enlightening topic. because I Until then, I'd never heard of dark tourism before. So thank you for that. Don't know about I you, Reese, how you found it. <laughs> it's definitely piqued my interest. I mean, I am the biggest scaredy cat. So I mean... Would I ever go on a ghost tour? I'd probably, probably yes. <laughs> Just saying <laughs> yes, I would. But I would definitely, uh, I would definitely want more of the history than uh, than the ghosts. That sounds good. So before we end, Kat, uh, do you have? Is there a website, or email, or a social media tag that people can come find find you and ask questions they have about dark dark tourism? Yeah, for sure. You can find my website, which actually does talk about more about dark tourism in Kingston specifically at historicdame.wordpress.com. Um, you can also find me at on Instagram at historicdame as well. And then my e the best email to reach me at is my UWO, which is um, kmacd253 at uwo.com. Thank you. We'll make sure to have those in yeah. the description for everyone listening. So. This has been GradCast, the official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students at Western University. I've been your host, Gavin Tillamedi, and my co-host was Reese Patterson, and we've been speaking with Kat from the History Department here at Western. And this episode was produced by Ario Frame. If you would like to be involved with the show or get in contact with us, email us at gradcastradio at gmail.com. You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at gradcastradio. To listen to us, we're on the radio at CHRW 94.9 FM. You can also find all of our episodes on our website at gradcast.ca or on podcast apps like Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. 
Alternatively, select podcasts have been uploaded to YouTube at Gradcast Radio. Thank you for listening and have a great night. Stay safe out there.